Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast, presented by Motif Magazine, sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Grace Sale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. I am your host, John Fusick. Today, we have singer-songwriter and band leader of the Adam Ezra group, Adam Ezra. They will be performing at the Greenwich Odeum on May 14th.
Hi, Adam. How are you? I'm doing really good, man. How are you doing? Good, good. So, you're going to be playing at the Odium coming up. Yes, sir, I am. And, uh, man, uh, thank you for, for uh, being interested in writing about it. I appreciate that. Oh, no problem. I see, I, I've seen your name floating around for for many, many years. I, I think I actually think it goes back to the MySpace days. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it goes. Oh I, think, uh, I think you were one of my MySpace friends way back. Oh, my gosh. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, that's um, how long this social media stuff goes. Not many people remember MySpace anymore. That's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Well, uh, I hope. Have we gotten a chance to cross paths? We have not. Yet? Not yet. Right. Um, I'm a musician too, so I'm out playing a lot as well. So. Nice. Who do you play with? I, I play solo, uh, but I also play with a tribute band called Forever Young. We're a Neil Young tribute band. Nice. So, and I noticed that we both play six string banjo. Ah, right, right. Which I, um, which is what, which is what kind of piqued my interest in you when I saw, you know, because I, I like to, you know, when I speak to people, I like to talk to people who have like a little bit of a connection where there's something that I would be able to, you know, have a good conversation with them about. And I saw you playing a six string banjo because I watched one of your videos and it's like hey, oh, yeah. he gets it <laughs> a lot of people oh, man. i get so much crap from like people in my band they like they just ha i've been playing the six string banjo for about a dozen years now and you know the first one i had was kind of was kind of like not the greatest one and it, you know i had a kind of a funky sound and nobody really got it <laughs> Um, well, you know what? I found uh, a couple different um, couple uh, a couple different um, um, facts about the six string banjo um, over the last year or so. Um, one of them uh, directly relates to something that you do, and I'm not sure if you knew this or not. But on Old Man mm -hmm. Neil Young, James Taylor that, plays that. Yes. Yeah. You knew. Yeah. But do you That's cool. I'm wondering what you use for strings on yours though cuz that was the that I actually I got a new banjo a couple of years back and I had discovered a stringing method for it that makes it sound a lot like a banjo and it took me a few years to figure this out but once i did it made a world of difference and i'm wondering if you string your banjo the same way as i do i use the nashville tuning strings which are the, the strings from the the high strings from a 12 string and wow and it gives it more of a banjo sound because they're more mm. steel string than wound. There's only one wound string. Mm. And it made, it made the world of difference on the banjo. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it sounds way more authentic. Yeah. Um, that's really, really interesting. I um, am the other direction. I use the same string on my banjo as I do on my on my Stratocaster, as I do on my guitar. And what are those? And the heaviest fucking strings I can buy. Really? Really? 13 gauge 13 gauge acoustic strings because because I bang the fuck out of my instruments when I play them and and so I just I just use a heavy gauge so I ain't breaking strings every night and uh, and when I'm transitioning over the course of the night I'll transition between a bunch of different guitars so in I'll give up authentic sound I'll sacrifice sound and even on like an electric right I'll 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 sacrifice mobility for just comfort of playing you know I am not a I am not a uh, I am not a guitar savant so you know what I do I can do on on any guitar i get handed during a during a concert and that's that's just for me well i i can't go with the heavier strings anymore because i have hand problems now after mm. after almost 50 years of playing so 
Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that'll that's, happen. Yeah, I kind of, I have to wear a brace on my hand when I play now. So. Ah, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, it sucks. But I mean, I, it's funny because I've been doing it, and I, I noticed that some of the older guys do it too, that it's just, you know, it helps you while you're playing. It, it's, it just makes the, it, it minimizes the pain when you're playing. Yeah. It makes it, makes the recover afterwards much better. I, I don't know how old you are, how long you've been playing. So 45 it's, years old. Oh. And I've been, I've been playing, you know, I've been, I've been banging around for about 20 years now. Yeah, and, I saw uh, that. You've been, you started out in Boston. Yes, sir. Where in Boston did you, where were your uh, gigs going I, in the original days? Oh, man. You know, when I started playing in Boston, I couldn't get a gig to save my fucking life. Yeah, Boston's a we, tough market. It was tough. So uh, um, so I would end up going to the emptiest bars I could find and trying to talk to the owners and letting us, getting them to let us set up in the corner of the bars. And that's how we started playing out. And and people, you know, we would just tell everyone we could to come out. And, and it wasn't until we could fill up those bars that we started to get invited to bars outside of Boston. And eventually uh, we started to get invited to play venues that were actually made for music and actually sold tickets. Mm. Um, but it was from the very, from the very beginning for us, not a very, not a fairy tale story for sure. Well, you did, you were, you were inactive during the nineties, during the folk boom in the nineties, were you? No, I was a little bit before my time. I started, I was, uh, I graduated college in 99. Oh, okay. And uh, and started started playing around around two thousand two thousand one. Yeah, because from what I heard of your music, you're probably you probably would have been it would that probably would have been a good time for you because that's that's when I was out doing a lot doing the touring around the the northeast and stuff with my duo. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. there were a lot of venues back then, and we used to play all those venues. They were like a lot. Of, most of them are closed now. There were lots of coffee yeah. houses and mm-hmm. those kind of things, and and you know. Mm-hmm. Then it probably when you started playing, it was it was really tough around the 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 millennium. It was that was a really rough time to get going because I actually had stopped playing for a while around that time because it was just so tough to get gigs and and just be out in general because music was there. There weren't many people having music around that time, so that that yeah. really did give you a rough start. It was, uh, it was, but man, it's been a rewarding journey nonetheless, and uh, I'm grateful for every chapter that I've survived through so far to this point. And you know, and now, you know, and now I get to play awesome places like the Odeon, which is, you know, we're just a kick-ass venue. I'm, oh yeah, I'm I love that place. Yeah, I mean, what a cool spot that is, and I and I think it's our gig there, right? That uh, that that kind of inspired or was the impetus for for this for this interview. Yes, yes, because I I'm in Rhode Island and I I've played the order many times, and mm. I interview a lot of the people that are coming through there because um, it, it, you know I like to, I like to talk about the venues and the artists that are coming in that I think people should mm-hmm. check out and the venues should be checking out. Well, so, right on, man. what part of Boston were you originally from? I am. Fourth generation in Boston. My great grandfather immigrated from uh, from Russia, and he lived in. He came to Dorchester, where my family, you know, was in the garment district. My grandfather eked his way from Dorchester to Natick. My father made it all the way from Natick to Wayland, uh, which is out near Framingham, which is where I grew up. And then, uh, and then, and then I. I tumbled back back into Boston again, so I'm a, I'm a Chelsea guy now. How did you escape having that Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, bad Boston accent? Oh, kid, you fucking get a couple beers in me, and we'll fucking talk <laughs> shop all day. 
Are you fucking kidding me? We'll fucking talk Boston. Um, I was going to uh, say, because you really don't have that Boston accent. You know, my, my mom's Jersey. Uh, my father was uh, never had a super thick accent. You know, and my town, you know, you really, like, right, if you're growing up, Wayland is not the, the grittiest town. Uh, there are certainly parts of that thick accent will rear its head for sure. Uh, and I always had, had friends that talked like that. But really, that's not how people talked in my house growing up and so you know i'd never it never never uh never seeped into my core where were some of the venues they that you played uh you know one of some of the, the venues did you have you played like passim and um oh yeah passim was a favorite of mine for many many years came up through there and 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 toad in cambridge that tiny little place places like the kendall cafe that closed down a couple of years into me playing music but then also you know i was in a i was in a i was in a, a band so that you know we graduated to the uh harper's ferry which is now brighton music hall and paradise we had a bunch of really fun chapters paradise and uh later on at the sinclair these days when we're coming through boston i mean we have the last 10 or so years we've done um, our own and i don't know if you knew a guy named adam klein who's a music promoter in the boston area he ran a, a concert series called the rock and blues cruise on a boat called provincetown 2 held about a thousand people and the that uh, concert series ended up going kind of going by the wayside and for the last i don't know six seven years i've just been renting out the boat myself and so we'll bring you know we'll bring 800 people onto the boat once a year for a cruise or you know around 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 the holidays we may do a couple nights at the winery we enjoy these days sometimes but really those are you know back in the day we were playing the music venues we were playing and if i was playing at passima i was really took me many many years to get matt smith over passing to give me a call back and let me play there but it became a favorite of mine i mean such rich rock and roll history there you never you never got to play when bob and ray ann owned it mm -hmm. they were no, they no. were characters I, they were great i used to i, I played know, there I quite a few whole, times and i was never a person that came up in any kind of music scene i was always i think an outlier maybe because i just had my head down trying to hustle gigs you know there were years and years was, we were just playing in any bar around new england we could get hired in we'd be doing all the opera ski shows at all the ski mountains and all the you know it's we we were just we were just banging we'd play five hours a night oh, any wow. night you know more often than not outnumbering the audiences we would play for it you oh, know, I know like that, that feeling <laughs> yeah and that was i mean that that was that's that musician i identify with because i spent so many years really just scraping and grinding and, well you need uh, to do that to build it and that's what that's one of the things that irks me about the American idolization of, of people is that people have this idea that you go on a show, you win a contest, and you're a rock star, and you're treated to limousines and record contracts, and they don't really understand the, the whole aspect of playing gigs to nobody, getting paid crap, driving home in the middle of the night, waking up, going to work the next day, and, you know slogging through a date and try to do it again you know that's they they don't understand what it takes to be a true musician i i suppose that's right but i also feel like that there are a lot of musicians out there that have had much easier a much easier path to success whether or not they had some connection or they got quote unquote discovered early on and i don't begrudge anyone who wins a contest to get a leg up or does anything they need to do to get a leg up because man even once you have that opportunity 
it's fucking hard work, man. Mm. And even people with those opportunities get get put into a limo or put right onto the bus, put right onto big stages. You know what? They're in a fucking tough situation too because they got a bunch of fans that are soft fans that know them because of one song right. or they know them because of one thing. And you know what? They've got a pressure on them that is insane. If they don't come up with the next hit song, if they don't do something extraordinary, those fans ain't gonna be around in five years, and that's fucking brutal. And I and while I certainly have not had the fairy tale journey, one thing that I uh, I appreciate so deep is that our fans are our fan community. They're with me for the rest of my life. Well, you've they ain't built going them anywhere. You've built yes. them fan by one fan. One person at a time. Right. One exactly. person at a time. One bar at a time. One charity event at a time. That's been our story from the beginning. And man, it it, it is it has made it has been a tough ride. It's been a tough road to get here. But uh, but but where we are right now, it, man, it is an exciting time. If you get a chance to come down to the Odeon, uh, uh, I'd be super excited for you to just experience the energy from our crowd. Oh yeah, I'm, particularly I'm definitely would like to. <laughs> particularly energized by by the pandemic. Oh yeah. Uh, well, you, I read which, I read that you yeah. did a lot of a lot. You gained like 15 million people on your videos. Well, we. What we did, what I began doing the day, so the day the tour was canceled, I remember the day it was, you know, or I canceled it, really. I was supposed to fly down to Clearwater, Florida to open up for Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, one of my favorite bands in the universe. And, uh, and they had been taking us around the country, having us open for them. And, and I was so excited about it. And, you know, they just declared the pandemic and, and, and I was home on Friday night and, uh, and I was feeling shitty and I decided to live stream. And it was about a week or two before the live streaming balloon hit and everybody was doing that for a little bit. And, you know, I just went on a less to play a concert and to feel in more so to just feel a little less alone and a little less scared and and was joined by hundreds of people and at the end of that i said you know what i'll tell you what i'll come back tomorrow if you come back and the next night i came back again and there were hundreds more and the next night hundreds more and we started calling it the gathering series and that gathering series we i ended up live streaming for our fan community for 500 nights in a row and it was one of the most inspiring journeys i've ever taken as as an artist again not a not a, not an easy one or a fairy tale one by any means but but that that journey that i got to take with our community now that the world is beginning to spin again has led to such a deep connection not just between myself and my bandies and our fans but between the fans themselves who have been hanging with each other online for years at this point right and uh and and it's really the community aspect of our of our mission has been the biggest driving force in our in our journey and it has been pretty inspiring to watch it all unfold now did you play these solo or with your band or both both i mean you know you think about 500 nights in a row and during some of that time it was quarantine right i mean during the first i don't know how many live streams it was just me and a guitar and i didn't know if you could see your band because we were i was separated from my band couldn't. for months no i couldn't for most of that time for most of the two years we really we could not play with each other yeah that was a hard part uh, we ended up doing something pretty amazing again through our fan community we started before vaccines that first summer 
we were saying to ourselves, man, you know what? We believe in this community. We believe that there's got to be a way that we can share live music and make it and make it safe again. So we created something called the Live Gathering Series, the Live Gathering Concert Tour. And basically, we went out to fans and we said, hey, if you want to help create a safe environment to make music work, you can apply here. We built this little website for them, right? And hundreds of fans applied. And basically, we would go to different backyards and we would play. And when they applied, what they would do is they would communicate their square footage of their yard their concert space, mm -hmm. whether it was a park or their yard or a green space in the neighborhood. And we created an algorithm through which people could buy tickets in pods, right, in groups. Mm -hmm. And there would be a square footage assigned to each number of people in a pod and then a square square footage assigned to the barrier space around whatever size pod they were occupying and that square footage would be subtracted when they bought their tickets from the total square footage so we'd never oversell a yard we always knew that we were mathematically creating enough space to keep people socially distanced and safe and then we just had this extreme list of how people behaved when they showed up and where they could wear masks and where they couldn't and how they would do bathroom stuff and everything and it was amazing. We played over 90 live gatherings without one person getting sick. And wow, that's pretty good. It was a really inspiring, really, again, an inspiring testament to this, to the community and their ability to come together to make pretty amazing things happen these days. Well, it's, 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 it says a lot about you, too, being able to organize and, and conceptualize the whole thing. I got a, I got a pretty amazing team getting my back, too. So, you know, at this point, after... 20 years of really crazy ideas and really non-traditional, really non-traditional concerts. My people that know me, they're, they're, they're ready to roll up their sleeves and do crazy things. I, I read that you moved to Mo the Mojave Desert. Is that true or is that just something I read and that's not right? No, well, it's sort of right. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit right. Um, <laughs> Um, in 2019, October of 2019, we were, and my now, I got married during COVID. I had a daughter seven months ago. And so I'm a new, new father. Uh, this was, but I've been with my wife, Allie, for, for many years. Many, Is she many in years. the band? No. Oh, okay. I, I no. thought I had seen pictures of you with the, the violin player, and I wasn't I wasn't sure about that. Sorry, I didn't, no, didn't, mean, to didn't mean to insinuate anything. I just I just thought that just from cursory look looking around, it seemed yeah, like yeah. many many people do, but uh, but um, Karina is uh, our fiddle player is an extraordinary musician and uh and an incredible uh an incredible buddy as is alex on the drums and poche on uh on the bass uh and uh and i have uh i have not been a couple with any of them um <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, I'm sorry to insinuate anything i just it just because no i know no how that i know needed. how that works i've been you know i've gone through no the same apology thing needed. it's but just my but my uh my my journey with my wife has been an interesting one because I'm a, I've always been, a, you know, before, before the pandemic, I was doing 220, something like that, shows a year, wow. about 80,000 miles in the van, right, uh, just out all the time. And basically, I was, you know, we, we knew we wanted to have a family and, uh, and we were looking at houses outside of chelsea we we're country we both love being out in nature and so uh you know so we were looking for, and then 
she calls me one night and she says, okay, this is insane. It makes no logical sense. But I, I had known that her special place was out in the desert. It's called the High Desert, the Mojave Desert, uh, right near Joshua Tree in California, which is essentially in between Los Angeles and Las Vegas. She said, I found this little shack in a pile of boulders. <laughs> And I think we, I think we, I think we need to buy it. And basically, my deal with Allie is, man, if she is willing to hitch her wagon to to mine, we can live anywhere she fucking wants, and I'll make it work one way or another. But we were able to buy this this place out in the desert, scraped together, scraped and scrapped. We bought this place, and and we were able to keep our Chelsea place. We rent the cabin when we're not there. But then COVID hit, right? And and we were stuck in Chelsea, which. I was the hot spot for COVID, particularly in those early days. Right. And it was it was a tough tough place to be. I mean, ambulances going twenty four seven, people sick. I got sick early on. Oh, scary. Did you? How did you feel yeah. with that? Good. It never got to the point where it got into my lungs, but I I gathered every night. I live streamed every night through it, and I used it as a platform to just talk about what I was experiencing demystify the process of being sick and just be you know, just go through it with the fans and when i got better we basically ali and i looked at each other and we're like you know what let's fucking we got the band van we ain't on tour you know like let's let's go out to the desert and we spent we've spent a ton of time there in the past two years uh just living out out there in this little shack in the boulders and it's been and totally, totally inspiring journey out there. Beautiful countryside. And uh, and when we're not there, because COVID got crazy, right? Like property got crazy, even out in the middle of the desert, because you're only two, two hours away from Los Angeles. Right, right. It's this beautiful desert area that is amazing. And so really, there is such a demand now for people getting out. Joshua Tree has become such a kind of a hot spot place to go. And we're out in the middle of nowhere. But even being out in the middle of nowhere, we can our our place is rented every single night when we're not there, and it allows us it's paying for itself. Well, that's that, great. that place, and so you know, my my genius wife really, really, really crushed it there. But that's that's where you heard about the the Mojave place, okay. and uh, but we're still very much uh, Chelsea residents. So I, I saw that you have a Ramble Festival. Is that is that something that you do? We do. Uh, Tell we me about done, that talk about crazy ideas 13 years ago i was do we were doing even a small even though we were a lot smaller than we are today social activism was always a big part of our mission whenever we could do charity events was always a big part of who we who we were and what made music inspiring to us and so we had all these fans all over new england you know like you know little pockets of them so the first year the ramble came, you know, I said, I got this crazy idea, guys. And, you know, and I had started a nonprofit organization called Rally Sound that was basically the conduit through which we would do all of our social activism throughout the year. I went to my team at Rally Sound. I said, you know what? Let's put together an event that everybody wants. And the first year of the ramble, the way it started off was we went to our fans and he said, I'll tell you what, if you get 20 people together and you want to come to the ramble, we'll send you out a bus for free <laughs> to pick you up anywhere in New England and bring you into Massachusetts. And we said we did it in Salisbury Beach on the North Shore, Massachusetts. That first year we raised money. It had, it had just been the earthquake in Haiti. And so we raised we raised a bunch of money for Partners in Health, all farmers organization down there just doing continues to do a ton of incredible work for, for health care 
for healthcare down in Haiti. He's the reason that they have healthcare down in Haiti. It's amazing. And it was such an inspiring event. We started doing it year after year. And eventually the buses kind of faded and, and we decided to do, uh, I, I had another crazy idea. I said, okay, this is becoming like this annual awesome event. Let's make it a little bit more of a festival and let's make it, let's make it free. All anyone who wants to come to this thing, it's free. And everybody said, how are you going to raise money? If this is a fundraiser, how are you going to raise money if it's free? And I said, I don't fucking know, but we'll figure out a way. Like, we should just do this, and it will be awesome. And so basically, people would come in for free, and we would pass around these, we called them love buckets. People would just bring buckets, and they'd, you know, and they'd write the word love on the bucket. And during a concert, these buckets would just go around. It was like communion at church, and we would raise money. And each year, we would choose a different cause, but very quickly the entire community gravitated towards a specific cause which has been which has been our specific mission for the last decade which is you know to end veteran homelessness in new england and every year we partner with the new england center and home for veterans and we we raise money to help our heroes off the streets and help them into safe and dignified housing last year even during the pandemic, we have had to shift to like hybrid, hybrid kind of, it hasn't, we haven't been able to do a full festival in, it's been two years. This year, we're not going to do a full festival again. So it'll be three years and hopefully we'll get back to doing the full festival again. But even last year, live stream event, we raised enough money to help 67 homeless veterans off the streets wow. and uh that's great and it's been just it's been an amazing it's been an amazing journey so that's the ramble it happens every saturday for labor day weekend saturday before labor day weekend so this year we just sent out the save the date for the ramble which is august 27th and again this year will be a mostly a it'll be kind of a hybrid we'll have we'll have a few hundred people there but but it'll mostly be an online event most of our ramblers will be tuning in online you and i have a, a lot in common actually because I, I i've been running festivals for 30 years i've i've had festivals i um i've had a couple of different ones but now i'm i, I run the new uh rhode island folk festival awesome and i've been doing that we're in our we're in our eighth year for this i had i had other festivals previous to this and worked other festivals but it, it really sounds like we have a lot in common yeah well you know our festival is so unique i would have to i would have to just humbly say i really even having done it for so many years i really know nothing about actually running a legitimate festival but the ramble is certainly an inspiring event and festivals in general in general are like my favorite kind of shows to play i love i just love the spirit of a festival any time any opportunity i have to bring the band and show up and play play and share music in a festival environment i I just jump at that chance. I love it so much. Well, hopefully we can have you at our festival sometime. Anytime you want, brother. That you just great. let me know. Yeah, because you're just you're just up the road in, in Boston area, so that's cool. Mm -hmm. So you've won a couple of New England Music Awards, and you've or you've put out fourteen CDs. That's that's a lot of work. Maybe more than that at Maybe. this point. I have no. I, I I I've lost count personally, but. You know, and these days, these days, we're in the middle of a project that we're calling the album project. But it's an ironic title because it's kind of like a non, it's like an anti-album. 
we're in the middle of recording about 20 tracks in the studio. And rather than wait for them all to be finished, I've gotten so inspired by this real-time connection with our fans. As we finish each track, we just release. We just release the track. And in fact, today, the day that we're, in, we're interviewing, is the first day out of our latest album project release, which is actually a rarity it's a, it's just me and a guitar it's a solo uh, it's an acoustic song that i wrote singing singing to my daughter in the morning yeah. every morning and uh called lele Tangles I can almost understand There goes all my little plans Lay, lay, lay your head on me The oldest dance, let's begin You'll need patience, teaching me to spend There goes everything I've been Lay, lay, lay your head on me I'll be damned, bless my soul Don't we dance like the tumbling rain May the sunshine erase our steps So the young can dance again Find your rhythm Live your truth In my eyes There's nothing you can't do There goes Everything I knew Lay, lay Lay your head on Me Gambler and times a thief. My biggest love, someday you will leave. Let go all that I believe. Lay, lay, lay your head on me. I'll be damned, bless my soul. Don't we dance like the tumbling rain? May the sunshine erase our steps So the young can dance again And may we all live on through them Pick your song, choose the speed I'll lift you up and let you lead There goes everything I need Lay, lay, lay your head on me Lay, lay, lay your head on me Lay, lay, lay your head on me
but the, the album project itself has been our latest endeavor in the studio. Just a wide range. There's actually, if you go on Spotify, there is a album project playlist and you can, you can check out the seven or so tracks that we've released so far out of the 20 that we're planning to release. So it's on Spotify. And what's your website? AdamEzra.com. Okay. That's E-Z-R-A? Yes, sir. So uh, anything else you want to uh, add? The only thing I can tell you is that we never walk onto any stage with the plan. Um, we do not, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't perform from a set list on any given night. We may play any, any one of a hundred plus songs that we enjoy sharing. We are not afraid to try a new song out, even if it's not even finished yet. You know, I have a belief. I prefer us not to spend an entire night in our comfort zone, which means every single night that we perform, we should be trying something new or something very old that we haven't tried in a very long time or playing a song a little bit differently or talking about something deep that's that's personal that's that's different right and and in any given night we try to make something unique happen because because that's that's to me that's the joy of, of sharing art of sharing live art of sharing live music um anyone can go and listen to our songs as we recorded them but uh but when we play live we want it to be something wholly different well i did see the energy in your performances and the videos that i've watched there's a lot of energy <laughs> on stage and you you jump around and hop around and so it looks like you're having a lot of fun up there and i'm sure that translates to the to the audience as well and i'm sure it generates a lot of energy at the shows yeah we always we always have a lot of fun that's for sure that is for sure and we've, you know, we've played at the Odeon before and had an amazing time there. It is such a cool, historic theater that, you know, the kind of place that I really feel like really only New England kind of has. And there are historic theaters all over the country, don't get me wrong, but there are just there are a handful of gems in new england you know those kind of places and john you know what i'm talking about the oh, yeah. kind of places when you walk in and you can feel the history in the walls and man i just i feel so grateful to be a band from new england because there are so many really special spots and the odium is certainly one of them it is well, I want to thank you for being part of the podcast today and uh, <laughs> taking the time to talk to me. And uh, I look forward to the show. Check out your music live. And uh, I hope that other people will as well, because it, it looks like a show that a lot of people would really enjoy seeing. That'd be great, John. I would love that. I'd love to meet you in person and talk a little music with you. That'd be super fun. I, and I also just have to say before we sign off the other that, you know, another part of my history is that not too many people who write about music have been too interested in writing about me over the history of my of my career. And uh, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you wanting to uh, to talk to me uh, and put this podcast together. Thank you so much. Amanda. No, no, thank you. I'm glad. I mean, I appreciate people who work it and you've been working it and that's that's what inspired me i mean your music's great but the fact that you've been working it and i've seen your name floating around for years so it shows how dedicated you are to it so it, it's definitely worthy of it and it's worthy for people to come out and see your show so thanks man All good right. talking to you John. good talking to you too thank you Most of the night, sipping this beer, feeling alright with my old buddies lined up at the bar. 
jukebox playing soft and low About to pay my tab, hit the road It's just my love Someone played that song Now I'm switching whiskey Before the memory gets me Fill it to the top Let it burn me all the way down I'm gonna drown my sorrow Sober up tomorrow Tonight I fly so high I can't be found And I don't care if she don't even miss me I'm switching whiskey My breath away Dancing like a carousel on fire Through the barroom smoke Her blue eyes shining Holding up like she was mine And the beer ain't strong enough To ease my mind No, I'm switching whiskey Before the memory gets me Fill it to the top Let it burn me on the way down I'm gonna drown my sorrow Sober up tomorrow Tonight I fly so high I can't be found I'm gonna lean on Jack, shot for shot I'm gonna match these tears drop for drop I need something strong to wash the pain away Okie dokie, thanks to Adam Ezra for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. The Adam Ezra Group will be performing at the Greenwich Odium on May 14th. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, The Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 